0: Hello and welcome to another episode of an unqualified guide to the good life. My name is Nick. I'm joined as always by my good friend Adam. Oh, I forgot to mention the good life is a podcast where we talk about how to live a good life without any qualifications to do so. Good. See, here's the thing. I now was the- on
1: board with this voice, but then you forgot the intro. <laughs> like, it's not... Every time, Nick, every time this happens, you ha- I remember why you don't do it usually. <laughs> the voice was fine. The voice was distinguished, and if you always spoke like that, I would have been into it. What are but you talking about? This you... is just my normal voice. This is how I talk all the time. Well, thanks so much for listening um, to this episode of An Unqualified Guide to the Good Life. We hope you learned a lot. Uh, we sure did. Uh, and with love and rage, goodbye. <laughs> Okay, no, um,
0: yeah, welcome to <clears throat> an unqualified guy still to good doing life. it, <laughs> the show where we talk about how to lead a good life without any qualifications to do so. My name is Nick, and joining me, as always, is my good friend Adam, the Vibe Smith, Forge Master Johnson, um, mm-hmm. all the way from me. Oxford, o- Oxfordshire. Is that is that how that? Is that where that is? Um welcome well, that's Adam.
1: Oxford is in Oxfordshire, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to welcome to Thanks. the show. Thanks. Welcome, welcome to the recording. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Um I'm happy to be here. Yeah, good. Good. I'm I am
1: happy that you're here. In fact. You know, who are uh, the guests? M- me too. And now that we've wasted mm, two minutes of our listeners' time, let's <laughs> let's get into what we're talking about today.
0: Great. Yeah, so season five. Is it season mm-hmm. five? Is it episode it is. five of season five? It, Great. It okay. Is. And we're still on the topic of spirit. We are. Okay. I nailed that. Um not yeah. you so don't we're... know. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking today um, after, you know, extending our conversations about, you know, spiritual wanderings and um, the relationship contrived as it might be between nature and city humans um, and the ecosystem. Um, last episode, we're moving on to the relationship of humans and animals um, and perhaps what kind of spirituality we can learn from animals, how our relationship with animals might affect our spirituality, what it can say about our spirituality, what it can do to enhance it. Um, and and without further ado, I think we should get into that. I believe, Adam, you have a quote to start us off on that topic.
1: Um, this quote is from Robin Wall Kimmerer. Who is a uh, plant ecologist, um, an advocate for uh, indigenous uh, knowledge and practices, um, uh, very beautiful writer. Is uh, like a, a very a like a very beautiful human being, or who well, to be um, a writer. Or? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, to each their own. But but uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer's writing is very beautiful, I suppose. I should say, um, and. This comes from their most famous book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Very beautiful book. Um, Each person, human or no, is bound to every other in a reciprocal relationship. Just as all beings have a duty to me, I have a duty to them. If an animal gives its life to feed me, I am in turn bound to support its life. If I receive a stream's gift of pure water, then I am responsible for returning a gift in kind. An integral part of a human's education is to know those duties and how to perform them.
0: Hmm. Well, it's a nice quote. I'm curious as to how you return a
1: gift to a stream that has provided you with water. Oh. It's, it's about, like, um, acts of care for ecology in general. So it's like, mm. and, and everything's cyclical in a way, so it, it doesn't have to be directly to the stream, but you, um, you, know, you have a responsibility to, for example, pick up any litter or or, um, right, right, or right. T- if you are getting rid of food scraps, do so in a way that p- makes good compost for, for soil. So, uh, you know, mushrooms can grow. And not to take all the things that are growing um, in, the, in the forest or indeed swimming in the, in the river. Um, make sure that there's enough for the river to sustain itself is the idea
0: yeah that makes sense um and i suppose this takes us you know nicely into an extension of what we were talking about last week with this idea that i mean we're just simple extensions of um our ecosystems you know integral parts of it Mm -hmm. as well um and our relationship with animals should reflect that um i think then also to that point um and to sort of some of the things that I was picking up on uh, last week, you know, um, which you were helping me, I think, to unpack. I I think then we nonetheless have uh, certain relationships with animals, which can also be alienating in the same way that our relationship to our ecosystems can feel alienating. Because we can be stripped of um, contexts that feel, you know, natural, for lack of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah like i mean for instance the the <clears throat> the, the food chain is a, is a pretty is a pretty obvious one um i think zoos <laughs> are yeah. another you know um so i think that's something that that uh, fairly fairly um often happens in 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 our in our societies not that it's all, all, also the exclusive way in which we interact with animals i mean we have you know pets for one as well mm-hmm. Um I know you have a pet, Adam, a pet cat, your family have a pet cat and you live with a dog. I do. You know, yes. Does either of yeah, those my- give you any spiritual insight?
1: Um well I think um I think Apollo, who is the dog, um perhaps does very, more very than the cat is very brilliant not- brilliant writer. Apollo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, we've often said that about him. Um <laughs> Way, so so the cat is Misty and and the dog is Apollo, and they will be referred by their by their names um, from now on. Um, and Misty is 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 very lovely, it's very soft, and for a cat, very friendly. Most cats don't like um, being, pl- you know, playtime as much. We she likes the she likes the uh, the laser pointers and your dangly strings mm-hmm. and all of that jazz. Um, and she even sometimes likes tummy rubs, which is very unusual for a cat. Um, <laughs> chases shadows and her own tail from time to time. So she's lovely. However, I don't know that I've ever uh, received any spiritual wisdom from her. Um, nor has Apollo been particularly forthcoming um, with the wisdom, except for be very cautious about uh, strangers at the doorbell. Um <laughs> you know it's like yeah. there's danger everywhere and, yeah. and apollo makes well, he's, sure he's you're, a, you're a, aware a, of that he's a dog
0: of philosophy he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a dog <laughs> yeah. of
1: culture a dog of of, of letters and words yeah, yeah exactly and and um <laughs> i actually i often think this right because if apollo does bark we we tell him off but we communicate with our words all the time yeah. and he doesn't get to communicate with his word he gets chastised for it yeah um so which I think is I think is wrong but uh but I the 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 sort of quasi spiritual um realization that I've had in in the time with living with apollo and and I think it's spiritual if that's how you want to look at it, but not necessarily so is um an awareness because this is the first time I've ever lived with with dog a dog for a long period of time uh, and it's an awareness of how much shared experience that is between human beings and dogs, um, in a way that, that isn't present with cats, Mm -hmm. um, dogs and, and human beings sort of evolved together. They evolved in tandem, right? Dogs wouldn't exist without people Mm -hmm. and, and people certainly wouldn't be the same without dogs. And so there's a lot of shared understanding, I think with canine intelligences, um, yes. And, and how expressive, uh, dogs can be as well like it it doesn't take too long of, of living with certainly apollo to know what he uh what he wants what he needs in that moment based on on his uh well his body language and also any any noises he does make mhm mm-hmm. have you um have you ever have you ever had a pet? name? you don't have one at the moment. Um, um
0: I don't have a pet. I've never um had a pet in you know growing up um my i think my parents both grew up around quite a few pets um because they both grew mm-hmm. up in farms in africa
1: but um i think well i guess they would have grown up around farm animals as well
0: around farm animals as well yeah but um they also had um dogs <clears throat> and um i think for that reason <laughs> they've just not wanted pets ever since um I mean, the, you know, the, right. we've sort of like adopted some neighbors' pets by proxy a little bit, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I actually always sort of stolen. Yeah. <laughs> oh look, you're on a poster now. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've actually always had a bit of a, I guess a, um, not a misgiving, but a certain uneasiness about pets. I think because um, I don't like i don't i don't <laughs> i guess i don't know about um how i feel about sort of animal rights in general you know and i appreciate that mm-hmm. it's like a very nuanced thing but um like sometimes i just find you know like i mean animals kind of like i uh, um you know at this point in time at least like um and in the society we currently live in you know um when it comes to like dogs especially um it's a very one sided relationship you know like they don't um, I mean, sure, they, they kind of um, bring some soft touch to us. Um, and maybe that's the value, right. And maybe that's precisely the point, right? But like functionally speaking, like we don't actually depend on them um, in order to like <clears throat> really um, live our lives more effectively. I mean, you know when my when my um, my mother um, had dogs, they were guard dogs. you know, they slept outside mm-hmm. um, and they helped protect um, you know, the property. Which yeah. is a different relationship to having a, a you know um, a dog that could fit in your handbag you know um, yeah and and that and that and that you carry around not that there's anything wrong with that but I think like I've always then um, had a certain sense of like well this is sort of like um, an animal which is totally um, essentially dependent on you and maybe it's just because I don't really want to foster that relationship of like having a dependent. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and maybe that's why I'm like less enthusiastic about it. But I also think, you know, I I, I like this notion of um, of just like liberty. You know, I like I love animals and I love, you know, hanging out with dogs or, or any other kind of animal. But I kind of like just, you know, like walking around in the mountains or like running across a dog in a field or in a park or you know, running across cattle somewhere or something like that. Not that they're, you know, like wild roaming cattle in Switzerland, but, um, right. you know, just to give um, them at least the, um, um, you know, autonomy of movement, for instance, I think. It's just, It's just there's something about um, that, especially when you live in, like, more constricting urban spaces, you know, which I feel are, like, a bit of a disservice to these animals.
1: Yeah, well I suppose for cats that's not necessarily a problem uh, in urban spaces or, or indeed in, in rural spaces because cats will just go where yeah. they want. Unless right? you like, live like in um, an apartment which is not very easily accessible. Yeah, that's and not great. Although to... you do But well, particularly in Switzerland, right, you see these cat ladders going out of the window. Um yeah. it's amazing <laughs> the the lengths people will go to accommodate their pets, right? Yeah, like yeah, it, for sure. in, in this sense. Um, and I think dogs dogs are interesting because, as you say, there are still quite a lot of working dogs out there, right? Mm-hmm. There's the sheep dogs. Uh, dogs have been trained to um, uh, truffle hunting. There are yeah. truffle hunting dogs. The Apparently, used to be dogs. done by pigs, but they kept eating them. Police dogs, exactly. Therapy dogs, um, all sorts of dogs. Yeah. I think will smith has one that can surf nope that's a llama and i said will smith i meant will ferrell <laughs> that's a okay, very on. different Let's will this will ferrell does not have a surfing llama <laughs> yes he does there yes, is does. no yeah. way <laughs> now listen in fairness in fairness it might be an alpaca i'm not so sure of how to distinguish them that's google that's... it and with in an fact, an listener, pause this podcast right now and Google it. Actually, don't pause it, because Nick's Googling it right now, so you can follow along in real time. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, you've seen... <laughs> no.
0: Okay, there are videos of him surfing with an alpaca, apparently. I don't... Yeah. I'm
1: going to look this up later. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, yeah, there's at least one alpaca who's a pro surfer. Um... And think of how many dogs are influencers, Nick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: Who, like, they have f- significantly more successful careers than either of us do. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah,
1: quite. So, you know, um, I
0: mean, it's just envy and jealousy. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think I think there is something um, also in the way in which we sort of look at pets in that sense, right? Because we can we can sort of, um, in the same way that we're encouraged to do of almost everything else, kind of start to commodify um, everything and and almost, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even treat as accessories, you know. Um, And and I think there's something strange about that for me. I know most people, and, you know, I, I say this like most people are out there kind of abusing their dogs. That's not what I mean, you know. I know most people get an immense amount of love Enjoy, um, from having a pet, and I'm not, you know, trying to take that away from anyone. Um, but nonetheless, I'm not convinced that um, the relationship is 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 one which um, leads to a greater sense of kind of um, grounding and, and and sense of belonging to a larger ecosystem that um, perhaps might open, um, you know,
1: uh, the door to sort of spiritual uh, spiritual well, I, I progression. It depends on whether you want to think of it in those terms because I think most people who do have a pet and certainly a dog, which is far more hands-on than, for example, a cat or a goldfish or whatever, uh, because you have to walk a dog every day uh, and they require more social interaction. Um, I think that you can... I think most people who have a dog in that sense would certainly view a dog as a as a friend. Uh, and if they were to then think about it, think about... Um, the, what what that Im- the implication of that which is that we're perfectly capable of of maintaining relationships and forming friendships across species then with with living beings that are radically mm-hmm. different from us then i think that that is perhaps a spiritual realization because it it puts a, a context on your place in the world right and it yeah. shows that you are there is there is more there is more to it and we are just seeing one side of the the web of existence mm-hmm. that's if you want to think of it in those terms if you don't then then yes it can be your 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 fuzzy buddy who lives in 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 your living room right yeah. like it well i think uh,
0: also generally i mean the reason why we want to talk about this um and sort of contemplate this point is that also you know we often use um animals as analogies metaphors euphemisms for um you know um sometimes spirits of the natural world Mm -hmm. um and for personifications of aspect of the world around us you know um you know we and we also use animals to better understand ourselves a little bit you know um you know we can you know some some people <clears throat> sort of live by, you know, spirit animal notions and things like that. And, you know, we we um we have this this um, tendency to um you know to to sort of project either our own qualities onto animals or try to try to kind of um, better understand ourselves by understanding the qualities that animals display. Um, and also that's very frequent in, you know, uh, religions as well, you know, um, to hold animals in high value across like a lot of different civilizations, you know, um, and and they are they often form a link to the mythical, um, even um, you know sort of supernatural um, creatures or events are very animalistic generally, um, even if they've then been morphed. Um, outside of the record
1: yeah I, that, that's certainly true and there are um there are there are groups of, of people around the world who, who identify entirely with animals their like clan name will be will be of a certain kind of animal mm. um, and it was a, it was a long uh, period of debate within the history of anthropology as to what what function this served was naming naming your, your group after animals Um, mm. for a time it was thought that it might be because they were good to eat um, that's certainly not the case because you know mosquitoes aren't on aren't good to eat or or good to like be associated with and that is also (laughs) not great if you're a mosquito um but more that it's it's good to think with it's the idea that it's good to understand relationships with Mm um Mm -hmm. and the notion of sort of spiritually being being connected with with animals uh you're right i think it's present in it's so many religious and spiritual practices right like even um even Christianity, which is fairly light on the the animal symbolism, Christ is the Lamb of God. Yeah, right. Like there's there's that there's that symbolism there. The snake the, in the and, garden. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, you know. A serpent. Um, all yeah. all of our downfall. And I think that the 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 prevalence of that in these stories shows how um how connected we are to 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 animals, whether we sort of acknowledge it or not. Um, in in fact, there are religious figures uh, throughout well throughout the entire americas um and into siberia as well uh who who can become animals who can can shift their perspective and see the world through animals eyes these are sh- the shamans this, that's right. what a shaman is ultimately right um, and, and 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 there is an understanding among many of these cultures that um animals have maybe we talked about this in the last episode certainly talked about it on the podcast before that animals can have these rich inner lives that mirror human lives and so from their own perspective they are not only people but also human uh which is is and it's biology that constrains us from seeing otherwise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And i think when you have a, a, an understanding like that the the and I think perhaps maybe this this has to do with what what makes uh, the notion of owning a, owning a pet uneasy for you. Maybe, maybe i'm maybe I'm off the mark, but there is a notion of um dominance, right? L- yeah, that people sure. are are imposing their will on on the world around them in an, in ever more uh, egregious ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think by acknowledging the perspective that that animals are people that are capable of forming relationships, you can sort of get around to the other yeah. side, as it were, that this is mutually constitutive. Of course. Of constitutive? course. Constitutive, um, constitutive. I think Let's constitutive here. Yeah. Um well, no, that's, <laughs> that's a very interesting point. point.
0: Um I mean <clears throat> I suppose um <laughs> the idea of uh um you know, being able to see through animal eyes is quite an interesting one. I um you know, I I am um, I wonder about the, um, the processes you have to undergo in order to arrive at such a place of wisdom. Um, oh,
1: well, a lot of it involves um, powerful hallucinogens. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Uh, actually, uh, it, it, it's, it's a big thing like um, that one of the most powerful tools that shamans have, which isn't directly related to animals and spiritualism, but is interesting, is liquid tobacco. Okay. Uh, and it will be tobacco will be like ground down into a paste and then refined and uh, distilled into this into this thick liquid and it's it's very uh, toxic you have to build up a long tolerance to mm-hmm. it and so there have been quite a few cases of sort of western tourists going to the Amazon and um, trying this liquid tobacco and dying because they they can't handle it from mm-hmm. from charlatans mm-hmm. pretending to be shamans essentially um let me ask you then Nick on on, on the idea of this notion of, of seeing through, animal eyes and, and i think that this is something that we that we have a craving for in the west perhaps and i think the evidence for that is is in our superheroes right the most right. popular marvel superhero of all time is spider-man the right. most popular uh, dc superhero is batman the most popular of the x-men is wolverine these are all superheroes that have animal qualities mm-hmm. in, infused mm-hmm. into them um now i think part of that's because animals can do some cool stuff but yes. Batman has no real relationship to bats other than darkness, right? Like it's I think there is yeah. this craving to associate with animals.
0: Well, it's a symbol of fear, you know, that he has to overcome in order to become Batman. But anyway, let's not get into that. Oh.
1: Well, listen, Sorry. I know that, but it it wasn't relevant to my point. So, um, but let me ask you this. What if anything distinguishes humans from animals? Mm. Um Well,
0: um i think probably which is maybe a cop out but the s- self identification um which um in part is what you know um helps makes us categorize these things as you know um humans and animals but um
1: well there is some physical So you're qualities. saying like a theory of mind like being uh, aware Yeah something that... like
0: that um sort of a sense of um a heightened sense of self awareness um, probably which um engenders a certain degree of like imagination um which makes creative communication possible um which allows for such a rich nuanced language which allows for you know it's like the uh Yuval Noah Harari theory about like human evolution and like the distinctive ability for language and imagination which allows us to start um you know building and imagining um, ever more complex societies and civilizations um and and to you know uh kind of come down off the trees um <laughs> and and um and start dominating sort of the world around us uh, i think you know there are um generally speaking and i think this is true also you know of like individuals right um in in with regard to how they um separate from one another you know if you were to isolate individual qualities you know you could say oh language but then you could make an argument that certain animals have fairly complex language systems you know or you could say mm-hmm. um, certain physical attributes you know um, but again you could probably find equivalence for individual physical attributes um, you could find equivalence probably in aspects of our group organization um, and perhaps maybe i think the the you know the the exclusive one, the, the the difference, I think maybe something to do also with, like, the way in which we use tools, probably. Um, the way we've learned to manipulate the world around us is maybe something which is more exclusive to us. You know, no animals have, like, successfully manipulated their environment enough to, you know, um, take them out of their, like, landscape, such as being able to, you know, take flight or go underwater or this, that, and the other. But, you know, some animals are quite crafty um, you know, handyman. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's it's, true. It's a, it's a combination of all of these things, which then makes up our unique um, quality. You know, rather than like one defining factor, it's like having all of these things in 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 one um, that that makes it unique. You know,
1: broad sense that aligns with with my own thoughts. Um, I had a lecturer when I was uh, in my first year at UCL who who made the case that and like as you say anything that you can point to that humans can do other is present in other animals as well it's a matter of degrees more than anything else uh, and so this lecture then posited that humans are not a unique species just another unique species like all species are distinct from each other. in Well, insofar as they are right. Uh, all species are distinct from each other. And that but there's nothing exceptional about the difference that humans have. It's interesting that you, 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 you talk about societal organization because there are animals which mirror this in a sense The the, where humans really excel is, is it's cooperation we, we have with strangers, mm-hmm. uh, like pe- being able to work effectively with people we don't know is, is very, very rare in the animal kingdom and mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. largely I th- I, I've I prevailing theories that a human intelligence is, is, is a byproduct of this need to communicate, not the other way around uh, um, because we are, we are so social in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, perhaps, I mean, that's interesting because in a sense, what that says to me is like um, a certain aspect of like going beyond tribalism. um, Mm. And then also with that reflection in mind, how much we're still
1: plagued by tribalism. (laughs) Yeah. And and trans-species tribalism in in a way as well. Um, And this leads me to think that you know language is, is, is how we communicate. It's one of the wonderful things about about being being a human, um, and but not all languages are the same, and language can shape how you see the world. Right? It's the, the Sapir Whorf hypothesis, is what it's called, um, which has largely been discounted. But but that was pretty much all encompassing the idea. But it it certainly does. Now, Robin Wall whom I quoted at the beginning. Wrote a a little essay um, called "The Democracy of Species." It's featured in this uh, collection of essays that's just been published by Penguin on sort of green ideas. Um, it's it's very, there's some interesting stuff in there, but makes the case that English uh, is 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 problematic in this way for for relationships to wider ecologies uh, because of the tendency to refer to. Anything non-human as it, right? Like um, okay. I, I refer to Apollo as a he when specifically, but if you're referring to a non-specific dog, you will say it. If you say that about a human being, that is deeply, deeply offensive, but it's okay for animals. And so it's a way in which we separate humans from animals within our language, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And makes the case that in, in many indigenous languages, rather than grammar separating the world into Gender, male and, and female, and in German "Neuter" as well. Uh, there, the language, the grammar of, of many indigenous languages separates things into animate and inanimate. Okay. Uh, and so, and that's a very different relationship that you you have with the world. And I, I think animacy exists on a spectrum, as life does, as intelligence does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but um, if you say, uh, like, a, a bit, the the language is is uh, Potawami. Um, which is uh, indigenous North American and the language for like a bay she mentions in this essay is um, the 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 place where the water rests or something or the place where the water is resting I think because it's because it's a verb based language and the water has agency in this sense to rest right. and that frames you very differently in relation to the world around you right it Mm -hmm. makes you aware Mm -hmm. in your manner of speaking that you are a part of a system and not floating above it somehow
0: yeah it's very interesting that um you know um as last week we like you know to take note of how much um the thoughts we have about the world around us and the interactions we have with the world around us how much they're actually just embedded into our language you know um, and and how much um, as much as language is <clears throat> able to you know um, do a lot of wonderful things for us, it also kind of almost imposes these limits due to its um, inadequacy. Almost, um, I think that's a that's a very interesting notion. And to go back to the way in which simply we name things um, and and talk about things to begin with, you know, um, is almost where you can uncover
1: you know the majority of our relationships um going forward i saw a great meme i'm bringing back the i saw a great meme section that i briefly introduced once where um (laughs) don't remember that it was on the episode we recorded with the reeds right 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 shout shout out to the reeds hope you guys are doing well um and uh uh, anyway, that was the, point. the the meme in question. Was it was a, a picture of of um, the the shoreline on a beach and some guy hammering nails into the sand next to where the water is lapping, uh, and then the na- the caption for the nails was language, and the ocean incoming was the inherent indescribability of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So I, I I think that that's interesting and. On on the back of that, and of realizing that that language frames our place, uh, and that I th- maybe it's a byproduct of English, um, but I, I think maybe it's not. But I think English certainly helps um, cement this is a sort of dominant and sometimes paternalistic uh, when we when we think of it in in sustainability terms, relationship to the natural world. What do we owe to animals? Is the question I'm wondering about. And more specifically, can we take any points of wisdom from that piece of fascist propaganda that is the B movie?
0: <laughs> well, um, much to my chagrin, I haven't seen that, so you know, no. um, well, I'm I wouldn't bother.. <laughs> <laughs> Let, okay,
1: this is wonderful, Nick. Let me tell you what Bee Movie is about, because <laughs> okay. you're not going to believe me, but I swear to God this is what it's about. So the, <laughs> the movie opens into a beehive, right? And they have, like, a bee society, and this bee who graduates from bee college goes off to be a worker uh, and, and wants to gather pollen to make honey. Now, this bee notices that honey is being sold in grocery stores. Right. And has a sense of strong indignity about bees being exploited for their labor and not getting paid for it. And so whereas humans are profiting off of of bees. And so he organizes the bees into a, a kind of union and they go on strike and then the world ends and he has to convince them all to go back to working for free. And then he and then he gets in a relationship with a human woman who leaves her boyfriend for him. But that's not that's a that's a genuine thing. This bee gets that's like it's not really the main focus of the movie. But there is a human woman who does break up with her boyfriend to be in a relationship with a bee, and that does happen. But also these bees form a union and the world ends. Oh, okay. Um, what the... but the. Po- the reason i brought it up um is is the idea that the the p- part of the premise of that is bees believing they should be paid for their labor and i suppose we often have animals uh, either laboring for us or just existing around us uh so do what do we owe them is is my right. question um well i think i think again you know um
0: as philosophy has a way of doing um it leaves us with more problems than anything else you know and i think it depends on you know it's it's like this um you know um i think it's maybe peter singer who said this about you know animals um you know if if um you know by by some measures um you know chicken cows um you know they're like the most prosperous animals on earth um because mm. they're they're <laughs> the amount um the sheer amount of them on the planet has so much has just exploded because we consume so much of them you know uh, so many of them and so um you know it's like if if you are um, useful to human society as an animal species then you know you're you're like uh, your heritage is kind of insured like <laughs> you know your right <laughs> your species will 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 persevere but um i think um to to you know to go to this kind of initial point about like what what do we uh owe to animals um I think it's for me um it's like you know room room to exist which doesn't kind of impinge on our own, which in a sense is sort of what I think we owe to other humans, you know mm. um I don't think it's vastly different um and and I think also um, the thing about this, particularly um, animals which aren't sort of um, um, uh, domesticated or part of our agricultural landscape, because there is a nuance there. But rather, animals which um, sort of um, exist outside of human society um, or are not directly useful to human society, um, is is that um, their their preservation is kind of dependent on the preservation of their ecosystems, right? So they are sort yeah. of, um, like placeholders, um, for preserving, um, you know, um, the ecosystems that we kind of also need, um, to continue flourishing for us to also have access to resources, you know, and that we should be, um, helping to preserve alongside our fight, um, for, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, working backwards against climate change. So yeah. I think I think animals are an important sort of, um, yeah, like almost symbol of that because you can very, they are where you can like, um, you know, among other places, very, very easily
1: identify the effects of the ravages we're having on the world around us in a sense, you know. Um. An excellent point. And it reminds me of something that I heard on another podcast, Dear Hank and John, uh, where... Um, someone was asking asking a question into this podcast that science questions are often sent in about the the viability of, of cloning a woolly mammoth, right and 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 whether we could bring species that are, will, are now extinct back to life. And I think that um, Hank Green, who was on there made an excellent point, which was that it's not really about bringing species back to life. It's about creating a world in which these species can thrive. Because if we bring the mammoth back and it has to live in a specially designed enclosure in a zoo, that's not great. We're not necessarily right. mourning the loss of the animal; we're mourning the loss of that world, which uh, mm-hmm. I think plays into that point very well, right? Like the animals are, are a symbol more than anything else. Um, well, I, I think this is interesting, and I think we've 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 spoken about animals in the in the as they relate to spiritualism in the abstract quite thoroughly, and I suppose. The, the question that remains to ask is is the about the relationship that most people most commonly have to animals which is as a food stuff um mm-hmm. so what do you think about about eating as animals nick i i'm a vegetarian um would would like to be vegan and i'm increasingly leaning more that way but uh but not not for animal welfare reasons necessarily i know you tend towards vegetarianism as as well probably these days i would assume mostly vegetarian just what, what are your thoughts in general i suppose
0: well, my thoughts on, um, animal consumption, I suppose, are, um, complex because my, um, behavior doesn't necessarily reflect my preferences. Um, mm-hmm. which is really the great challenge in my life. Um, <laughs> and I, I, listen, and a very relatable one. <laughs> and, um, as such, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't. Whilst I don't think that there is anything um, wrong with um, you know sort of participating in in you know um, what I think is a relatively kind of common aspect of life, you know that you know one form of life consumes another. Um, I think the way in which we do it um, as human society, which again I think is an uncontroversial statement, is um, quite unsustainable um, and po- probably also quite unhealthy for the planet as well as for us. Um, and so, with that in mind, I would like to, you know, um, orient myself away from that um, for for a, a set of reasons. You know, not necessarily because I believe in in the absolute sanctity of animal life, um, but because I think it's a huge um, uh, it's a, it's you know, it's a huge potential um, catalyst for helping to reverse um, some some eff- effects of, you know, climate change and um, deforestation and um, and to and to go some way towards the you know conservation efforts. Um, I also think that um, from a health perspective, I don't think that uh, we're doing ourselves necessarily a disservice. I think we have enough um, understanding of uh, nutrition and um, the 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 contents of our diets to be able to quite uh, comfortably live without them almost regardless of our circumstances although i appreciate that um sometimes it's not the, the most convenient choice to go without um meat and um also i think it's a it's a choice that we have and if we have the choice not to then perhaps it is best to exercise that choice um those are my thoughts. That being said, I, do, I don't eat any red meat. I haven't done for quite some time now. Um, I do eat chicken and fish. I, I, I eat it in varying degrees of frequency. Um, <clears throat> as the months go by, at the moment, um, I'm paying less attention to my diet um, and falling back more frequently on it. Um, partly because um, I'm training so much. And haven't really invested as much time as I should into my nutrition. Um, So I'm just conscious of the fact that um, I I don't really have to think because I've, you know, I've been eating these kind of foods for like 24, 25 years. Right. So um, I can quite comfortably just like I I, I know how to navigate this territory, whereas, um, you know, uh, being fully vegetarian or vegan in my diet um, whilst trying to maintain the same objectives in my training um, and like the demands on my body. I would have to do like slightly more work, which so far I have not done. <laughs> um, which is why I say it's complex. It's not complex. I just, um, I'm just not acting I- entirely in, in in tandem with my um, beliefs and preferences. But that's I think how I feel generally.
1: Well, I think that's one of the one of the great uh, challenges of living well. Right? Is like the the deck mm-hmm. is stacked against us um, mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. many ways for from living well. I, I think that that. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, and, and I think you're right. I don't think that's an uncontroversial statement. I think a lot of people can can relate to to that that sentiment. Um, from from maybe another perspective on on animal eating animals as it relates to spirituality, there there are two that come to mind. One of which is is again from uh from Amazonian peoples who who have an understanding that all beings are human from their own perspective. Um and I and I actually have have a little uh small quote which may help to explain that mm-hmm. a little bit. Um it it's a, it's slightly academic, but um I hope I hope we'll be forgiven. Um and it's from a, a paper called uh How Dogs Dream by a guy called Eduardo Cohn. Um and let's see, uh it's for the people uh the Runa people in a place called Avila, which is a Amazon community. <clears throat> For example, people in Avila say that what we humans perceive as a stench of rotting carrion, a vulture experiences as the sweet-smelling vapour emanating from a boiling pot of manioc tubers. Vultures, because of their species-specific dispositions, inhabit a different world from that of the runa. Yet, because their subjective point of view is that of persons, they see this different world in the same way the runa see their own worlds. Mm. Uh, there are many natures each associated with the interpretive world, the umwelt of a particular kind of being. There is only one culture that of the runa. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so that's the idea that, that, uh, that as we, as we eat animals or indeed anything, other beings will have those same experiences, uh, through a different biological lens, but it is the same experience. And, that it, as a consequence, because all, all animals are human, cannibalism becomes a problem right you can't go around eating people and no. so the uh, rules in many communities are that um people cannot eat what they themselves have hunted and that which has been caught must be blessed by a by a shaman first to make it okay to to eat in a non-cannibalistic mm, mm, sense mm. Um, and animals have their own their own shamans who perform similar rites if you're ever in the amazon and you come across a jaguar or an anaconda or a harpy eagle you know you've come across a, a shaman in in an animal mm. guys um the the other related point I think is actually um, something which which I, I I had to do as a small child at, at my Church of England first school and then again as a student at Oxford because they're backward and old fashioned, uh, which is praying before meals. Right? You I mean usually it's it's give, giving thanks to uh, the Lord in a Christian context for for providing the meal, but I think that maybe there is some benefit to be gained from acknowledging. Uh, as Robin Wall Kimmerer said up at the top, acknowledging and being grateful for the life that was given that you may live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I think all serves to be, um, to, you know, uh, like we
0: said last week, to kind of recontextualize yourself, to try Mm. and ground yourself in a context um, rather than to live bereft of it um, as society is so often trying to encourage us to do. Um, And I think, you know, there are certain things that we take for granted along those same lines. Like, um, for instance... You know, having a sense of, um, you know, the, f- the food supply chain, which takes you from the animal itself to what's on your plate. And mm-hmm. I think something which was very striking to me when I lived in London, you know, um, is coming across, a, uh, you know, in, in East London, coming across like a very small farm, which had a few goat on it. Right. Yeah, another um, one. And chickens and stuff. And, you know, and, and, you know, talking to someone around there saying, well, this is kind of an effort um, for like inner city kids to be able to experience to be exposed to farm life. Cause you know, you have these kids who've grown up in like an urban setting, which they've never left. Um, yeah. they've never seen a cow. Yeah. You know, um, they've never seen a chicken in real life. Um, and so to them, all they know is, is chicken as, as food rather than chicken as animal, you know? Um, yeah. and so trying to kind of recontextualize, of course, that's the, you know, uh, as we say, the sort of the big, um, issue that we're trying to combat and, and, um, you know, our relationship to animals and the way in which we orient that can help us maybe fight back against that. And, you know, and I'm not saying you have to, you know, bless your food, hunt for your food, um, have a deep understanding of the, you know, circadian rhythms of nature. But, um, you know, um, to, to, have a, to have an understanding that, um, yeah, that the thing in front of you is part of a bigger picture will help situate you within that picture as well, I think. You know?
1: Yeah. That I, I think that's an excellent uh, an excellent point and maybe a maybe a good place to to leave it. Um, and do we want to do we want to do we want to conclude? That's a f- that's a fairly good conclusion. Is there anything else we want to we want to bring forth from the, from the episode to to here? I suppose from from my end, uh, uh, reiterating that, but it's it, have forming relationships with animals or even simply contemplating an animals can allow us to understand our own context better and situate ourselves within a within a, a web a web of ecology rather than sitting above it i suppose
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i would say um you know i mean there is the um what's his name um the guy who wrote the <clears throat> london's biography this massive book about London's history.
1: Oh, um, I know the one. He's very famous. Peter? Is it Peter Ackroyd or something like that? Yes, uh, yes.
0: Well, Peter Ackroyd. That's correct. anyway. I think that's a that's a that's a that's a good example for London itself because he talks a lot about the wildlife and like the flourishing, mm. um, you know, biodiversity in London, which includes both plant life and animal life. But um, I think just to reiterate something that we also said last week, you don't necessarily have to travel outside of um you know um city lines to experience that of course there are certain things which you will not have access to um naturally but um you know that isn't to say that the city isn't also teeming with wildlife you know with other animal life you know who have their own rhythms within the city you know Um, yeah you know watch ratatouille (laughs) (laughs) the documentary (laughs) the documentary on this subject it's a very serious or or b movie um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't watch b movies. You know, it's not that's... great <laughs> but yeah i mean i think it's you know um, um whether it be pets or um you know um insects birds rodents foxes so on and so forth you know the, man the,
1: i get so excited when i see a fox in like in london or Oxford. Yeah. like i mean a lot of people are uh, you know it's like oh it's an urban fox they're very common they can be pests but i'm like oh look it, it's something about seeing yeah. a wild mammal, you know wild mammals are yeah. not that common, and it's like ah, oh, my guy and also yeah, it's, it's, foxes it's, uh play you know they're they're an important part of um they ha- they have a mystique they are spiritual creatures in many ways in Japanese sure. folklore sure. and european folklore like uh Absolutely. you know the the French uh, word for a fox um is a is a renard and that goes mm. back to a, a a medieval figure called Reynard the Fox, and these were myths that every European used to know and has since been forgotten quite a while. About mm. um, That's cool. he, Reynard was like this trickster figure, like uh, like a or or Pan, and uh, mm-hmm. served. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the king was a badger. I'm not sure. His friend was a badger, maybe, but um, okay. yeah, <laughs> it was definitely a badger. There were That's other right. animals in this community. Again, tracing our history and
0: understanding back through language—another yeah. common theme. Yeah. Um, but no, cool. Uh, I'm I'm happy to leave it at that. If you are, um, absolutely. Thank you for another interesting conversation. Before we um, cleanse our palates, do you have anything that you would like to plug?
1: Just at the end, there made me th- made me think of uh, Planet Earth Two, the more recent one, David and the last episode is about urban uh, wildlife, and would recommend seeing that. There's some amazing stuff in cities. Mm-hmm. Yes, I um,
0: I think that's a that's a a big a, a good one. Yeah, anything David has done, really. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> these more recent ones. Um, yeah, fantastic.
1: uh What about you, Nick? Any plugs? I do not have any plugs. No. Excellent. Well, I'm going to break with tradition, and I'm going to go first on the fun fact. Um, go for Because I want to tell you about. Wojtek, and Voitek I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly uh, was a bear um and he was also a a sergeant in the Polish army during the second world war um and uh the the, the story was i believe that uh was that this 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 Polish battalion had um a uh, had uh, come across a bear whilst uh, sort of retreating from, from a Russian invasion or, or from the German invasion into, into Russia and, um and was found as a cub. It is believed that Wojtek's uh, mother had been shot by by hunters, and this battalion adopted Wojtek. And then to get on a boat, they were told animals weren't allowed, and, like, he's a sergeant. <laughs> and um, he was promoted the rank of sh- sergeant and would carry supplies all <laughs> through the, uh, the Italian front, um, alerted um, the soldiers to the presence of a spy in the camp, uh, step up from a watchdog, I suppose, um, and then after the war, retired and and lived the rest of his days in in Warsaw Zoo. Died of old age in in the sixties, I believe. After a rock and roll, a big uh, bender. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that's
0: cool. That's um. Hmm, how interesting.
1: He used to drink. Um. He used <laughs> he used to drink wine as well. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Debauched, depraved. Debauched. <laughs> well, now. Apparently, um, there's a soldier called Nabreski who says, for him, one bottle was nothing. He was weighing 440 pounds. He didn't get drunk. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I could see
0: that. Hmm. Um, cool. Nice. I, um, I, Do I have a fun fact? Yeah, I do. I, I Well, I just um, wanted to talk briefly about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, cats, mm-hmm. And um, I thought, well, I really briefly just wanted to mention the fact that, you know, cats were some of the first probably domesticated animals because, you know, we find um, depictions um, of cats um, and, you know, uh, tomb scenes um, uh, in ancient Egyptian cultures, you know, in the old kingdom of ancient Egypt over like 4,500 years ago Um We see depictions of cats and we also see lots of mummified cats. And I thought Mm. this was um, an interesting thing to display because mummified cats were often offered um, as a sort of a sacrifice to the god um, whose shape was inspired by that animal. Because Ah. the line between Egyptian deities and animals was uh, blurred, Um, animals could become associated with one or more than one god or goddess which would have you know feline aspects for instance um and so a lot of these like mummified um, gods would be offerings to the cult of that god um wow and, uh, animals were therefore bred specifically in large numbers uh, for performing these kind of offerings and um I thought I also um if you would um, allow me this I wanted to just finish by reading a poem by TS Eliot which is called the naming of cats
1: Oh, yeah, Um, go ahead.
0: Which I think is a a, a cool way to to end. Um, So yeah, T.S. Eliot, The Naming of Cats. Uh, The naming of cats is a difficult matter. It isn't just one of your holiday games. You may think at first I'm as mad as a hatter when I tell you a cat must have three different names. First of all, there's the name that the family use daily, such as Peter, Augustus, Alonzo, or James, such as Victor or Jonathan, George, or Bill Bailey, all of them sensible, everyday names. There are fancier names if you think they sound sweeter, some for the gentlemen, some for the dames, such as Plato and Mita, Selector but all of them sensible everyday names. But I tell you, a cat needs a name that's particular, a name that's peculiar and more dignified, else how can he keep up his tail perpendicular or spread out his whiskers or cherish his pride? Of names of this kind I can give you a quorum, such as Monkey Strap, Quaxo or Corricapat such as Bombolurina or else Jelly Lorum, names that never belong to more than one cat. But above and beyond there's still one name left over and that is the name that you never will guess the name that no human research can discover but the cat himself knows and will never confess when you notice a cat in profound meditation the reason i tell you is always the same his mind is engaged in a rapt contemplation of the thought of the thought of the thought of his name his ineffable effable and ineffable deep and inscrutable singular name
1: wow thanks very much And with that, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. And with love and rage, goodbye. Goodbye.